Hey, welcome to First Baptist Church Online. My name is Steve Polk, and it's an honor to have you join us today for, uh, for this message from our pastor. We're continuing our series, God's Kingdom and Our Place in It, and today is a really important message. Every message is important. Every word from God is important, but today is, is very pivotal, pivotal in our thought process. We're going to focus in on obedience. What is our place in the kingdom of God? It really is about obedience, but we've got to better understand what does obedience mean. So don't make any preconceived judgments about that. I want you to grab your copy of God's word, a notepad and a pen, and uh, settle in and really focus on uh, what you're going to hear today straight from God's word. It's going to be very impactful uh, and, and a powerful time. So go ahead and get ready. While you do, I just want to let you know about something. Even in our online community, we want to invite you, if you're at all within our area, we want to invite you onto our campus February 6th. So just in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a special guest by the name of Brian Hausman for Parent Summit. Brian's a uh, well-known, nationally known speaker and writer on things related to parenting, dealing with technology, dealing with how to interact and relate to your children, uh, and really just how to lead well uh, in your home. So without giving you too much, go to our website, check out this this day of event. It's a Sunday morning uh, through lunch. And I know if you can make that possible in your schedule uh, and be here with us on campus in Rock Hill, you will be blessed by that experience. Well, let me pray for us now as our pastor comes and, and you be ready to receive a word from, from the Lord. God, thank you for your word, for how you challenge us for the way you make us think, and even not that we think, but we think differently than we might naturally think. Today, as we look into what it means in the kingdom of God to to be obedient and how to exercise that in our daily life, that you will challenge us and grow us today, that we will think differently about the kingdom of God and our place in it because we engage with you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ray Baker was an Air Force pilot who flew B-52 bombers during the war in uh, Vietnam. And he and other pilots had been trained, no matter what they were doing, whenever they heard the buzzer sound in their barracks, they were to stop what they were doing immediately and run to their planes. And, and he lost track of how many times he would be eating a meal and that buzzer would sound or he'd be asleep in bed and the buzzer would go off. And they, they were trained. You get up and you run to the plane immediately. You don't hesitate. Stop doing what you're doing and run to the plane. And, and he did that time and time again. Well, there was one occasion when he was on furlough visiting his family in California and the extended family and he had gone out to a Mexican restaurant to eat dinner and everything was going really well until all of a sudden uh, Ray Baker got up, ran out of the restaurant into the parking lot. When his nephew caught up with him, he said, where are you going? And the pilot said, I'm looking for my plane. I heard a buzzer. And he just intuitively, instinctively got up and ran. What they what they discovered was there was a buzzer in the restaurant near their table that was used whenever the kitchen had someone's plate ready so they could notify the staff to pick it up. And it, you know, and here this had been drilled in into him so much that when he heard that buzzer go off, he just ran out immediately. Can you imagine what it would be like if all of us who say we love Jesus and follow Jesus are disciples of Jesus. Can you imagine what it would be like if we automatically obeyed every time Jesus spoke? 
in his word. And we didn't have to think about it. We just instinctively, immediately obeyed every time Jesus said something in the scripture. The truth is, I don't always automatically and immediately obey Jesus. And I, I, now, I would guess you don't either, correct? Not always. Now, obedience is really important. We, we know that Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 7 said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus made it really clear obeying him is a priority. Obeying him is important. I looked up the definition of obedience in the dictionary, and here's some of what it says. Obedience to obey is to, to comply with an order, to conform to a command, and to submit to another's authority. That's what obeying Jesus is. It is submitting to his authority and then doing what he says. That's what obedience looks like. We submit to his authority. And what the Bible teaches, and we're going to focus on this morning as we continue this series on God's kingdom and our place in it. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter six. We're going to discover that obedience and submission are characteristics of God's kingdom that people who are citizens of God's kingdom live a lifestyle of submission to Jesus' authority and obedience to Jesus' teaching, Jesus' commands. In Matthew chapter 6, which is right in the middle of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, we have what is normally referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus said when he was teaching us how to pray. Starting at verse 9, let's read together. The Bible says, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he continues with the part we know, give us this day our daily bread and so on. But look with me again at verse 10 where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying that the characteristic of his kingdom is that on earth we do what is done in heaven. In other words, we obey him. We submit to his authority on earth because we are part of his kingdom. That is our attitude. That is our lifestyle. That is our way of thinking. Now, the truth is a lot of us struggle with knowing and understanding God's will for our lives. And when we think about God's will, we tend to think primarily about decisions we need to make. What does God want me to do in terms of a job? Do I accept this job or that job? What is my career going to be? What, what is God's will for me in terms of which college I attend or, or who should I marry? And on and on we go. God, we pray, God, what's your will? Do I buy this car or do I buy that car? Do I buy this house or do I buy that house? Should I move or not? Should I move my kids from this school to that school? And listen, God cares about all those things. Those things are important. They matter. But notice something. All of those things start with me. All of those things start with you. They start with us, not God. And God's will, listen, God's will does not start with me and it does not start with you. It starts with him. 
God's will is first and foremost about himself, about God, and about his kingdom, his church, about his plan for this world in human history, if you will, about his purpose and his mission for the church, his purpose and his mission for his uh, people. And how do we fit into the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world, the bigger picture of what God is doing with his kingdom? Notice, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And brothers and sisters, if you and I are ever going to really understand what it means to live in the will of God, fully appreciate what it means to be submitted to his lordship and authority to obey him, we have to understand that seeking God's will does not start with me. It starts with him. It is not primarily about me. It is primarily about him and what he's trying to accomplish in this world and how I fit into that. After the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus discusses a lot of the issues that we care about and pray about, things that we worry about. Notice with me in chapter 6 at verse 25. Jesus said, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, which encompasses everything, not just length of life, but everything that's a part of our life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, for your body uh, for uh, nor for your body as to what you will put on. In other words, clothing is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. I mean, Jesus is saying the things that we often worry about and pray about and are concerned about are these practical day-to-day -day things of life, food and shelter and clothing. And, and in 2022, we can apply that to cars and jobs and, and careers and everything else. That's, that's where our focus quite often is. And those things matter. Those things matter, but Jesus is going to make a very important point here in a moment. You need to understand. Look with me at verse 27. He said, who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And so we, we, we pray about health, and we, we pray about uh, long life, and, and so on. Look at verses 31 and 32. He says, do not worry, then saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for clothing? Now notice this in verse 32. He said, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Those who are not part of God's kingdom, what consumes their lives are all of these practical things that make up day-to-day -day life. And those things matter. Jesus is not saying they are not important. They don't matter. But he is saying they are not the most important. And he is saying that is not where you begin. That is not where you start as my disciple, as my follower, when seeking to live for me, obey me, and know my will for your life. Where do we begin? Look at verse 33. He said, seek first. And that seek first means in sequence, in time. It also means in, in priority, in, in, in urgency, what is most important. He says, seek first two things, his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. And then all these things that the Gentiles worry about that, that, that matter to us, but, 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 but matter to Gentiles, to people who are not part of God's kingdom, more than it's supposed to. And if we're not careful as Christians, as followers of Christ, we allow the everyday things of life to take precedence 
in our life come first. And Jesus says we do it differently than the world does it. So what does Jesus mean when he talks about righteousness? A brief definition is this. Righteousness means to be right with God, to be morally pure, to be sinless, to be morally perfect, to be right with God is to be righteous. Now, the problem is I'm not. I'm not, I'm not righteous. I'm not morally pure. I'm a sinner. So are you. None of us are morally pure. None of us are righteous in and of ourselves. And the truth is, when I stand before God, when you stand before God, when each and every human being stands before God, we are all going to stand there as sinners, each and every one of us, empty of righteousness, without moral purity, without moral perfection. We are sinners. And any righteousness we think we have is actually a mirage because we are sinners. So I need help. You need help. And that's why Jesus came and died on the cross to provide us help because we could not be righteous on our own. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the apostle Paul wrote these words in the New Testament. It says that he, God the Father, made him, Jesus the Son, who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless. But on the cross, the Father made Jesus, listen, made Jesus to be sin on our behalf. My sin, your sin was placed upon Jesus and he became sin on our behalf. Why? so that we might be made or might become the righteousness of God in him. So when I place my faith in Christ, I become a follower, a disciple of Jesus. I receive from the heavenly father in Jesus, through Jesus, the gift of righteousness, the gift of purity, the gift of being forgiven and morally clean. We call this in theology imputed righteousness. It is a righteousness that is not rightfully ours, but is given to us in grace by the Lord when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you want to know the will of God and do the will of God for your life, the place you begin is making certain you are right with God, that you are righteous. You are standing in righteousness because you have a relationship through faith with the person of Jesus Christ. And God declares you righteous, declares you forgiven. That's who I am because of my faith in and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of that, listen to this, because I am righteous, the outworking of that, the result of that is what we call practical righteousness. I do righteousness. I practice righteousness. In other words, the way I live, and the way I make decisions is to make righteous decisions, to live righteously, to practically do it. Why? Because God's given me the gift of being righteous. I am righteous, so therefore I live righteously out of gratitude. I show it in my everyday life. The truth is, choosing to live practically day to day, a righteous lifestyle is evidence of proof of being righteous with God. Listen, to say that I'm right with God, that I'm right with God, and then in your daily life to live differently, to live unrighteously, to not obey God, to not submit to his authority in your life is to deceive yourself and lie to yourself. So 
if in my daily life, because I am righteous, I live righteously, I practice righteousness, how do I know what is right? How do I know what to do? How do I know how to live? Well, maybe this little story can help you. There was a missionary who was translating the New Testament into the native language of the people where he was serving. And he was struggling because they did not have a word for obedience. And obedience is a common word in the New Testament. And so he was struggling to translate it, to find the word, because they didn't have one. And uh, one day, after visiting a particular village, he was walking away, and he whistled for his dog to come, and his dog came running. And uh, one of the local men saw the dog running to him after he whistled and with a smile on his face said to him, your dog is all ears. I love that. Your dog is all ears. And the missionary knew in that moment he had his word for obedience. What is obedience? It's having all ears. It's hearing Jesus. It's listening to Jesus. It is hearing his word, listening to his truth, and then submitting your life to what he says through his word, conforming your lifestyle, conforming your decisions to the teachings and the truth and the principles of God's word. That's what obedience is. Is. And, and once I choose to, to listen to Jesus, to listen to his word and submit my life to that, then it makes my decision so much easier. I don't have to pray about nearly as many things because I know from scripture the way I'm supposed to live, what is right, what is wrong, what I am to do and not do. And the majority of issues that people struggle with are settled if they ever choose as a disciple, I'm going to hear Jesus. I'm going to listen to the word. And my attitude is submission to, obedience to what he says. That's what living righteously is. So Jesus said, listen, Seek the first thing, the first thing, the first thing, most important thing you are to seek in life is his righteousness, which comes because of your relationship with him. And then it's lived out by obeying what he says until you choose to do that. Praying about all these other issues is going to continue being a struggle in your life. So Jesus said, seek his righteousness by listening to what he says and obeying what he says. And then secondly, he said, seek his kingdom. And the question you and I need to ask ourselves as we seek the kingdom of God is this, how do I, through my living and my service and my giving and my doing, how do I help advance the kingdom of God? How do I help advance the mission of God for the church, for his kingdom in this world that is hurting, that is broken, that is so full of sin. We need to ask ourselves, how do I serve God in a way that actually makes a difference in the lives of other people? Seeking the kingdom of God means that I am willing to make sacrifices. It's not all about my comfort. Seeking the kingdom of God means that I want to make a difference and advance his cause rather than focusing only on my comforts and my desires and what I want and I tell myself I need. It's focusing on him and his kingdom and his mission and his purpose. And when 
it calls for sacrifices, it's worth it. When it calls for saying no, it may not be because God's going to give you something bigger and better in your life. It may be because you saying no to that one thing puts you in a place where God can use you to move his kingdom and his cause forward in this world. And for those who are disciples of Jesus and followers of Christ, citizens of his kingdom, that is what is first and foremost on your heart and in your life. It's the way we approach living. I want you to hear the story of one family because I believe it can help you understand what we're saying in this message today and encourage you. Watch this. Listen for God to speak to your heart as you hear this one family's story right now. I'm from Rock Hill. I grew up here, basically, uh, at another church, uh, five years old. I accepted Christ as my Savior, was baptized at 12. Um, but we were in church. My father uh, led us into that Christian life, and he loves his walk with the Lord. Um, when I was a teenager, uh, we had relocated for several years to the mountains of North Carolina, and my dad, growing up, was always an insurance salesman, and he had also been a Gideon. So we got the experience of being able to go to different churches and uh, that was awesome. Uh, but during that experience, I also observed that when we went into a church that was being obedient to God, you could feel that because it was a difference inside that church. Um, when I was a junior in high school though, uh, my father, having been an insurance salesman and agency manager, felt called to go into full-time ministry. Um, and our home church here in Rock Hill, Garden Sanctuary, uh, was sponsoring a mission church in a little town called Laramie, Wyoming. And I knew geography, I knew where Wyoming was, but I had no idea about Laramie. And being a junior in high school, playing on the football team, uh, two games to go in the season, my dad says, we're moving. And that was in my opinion, traumatic because it ruined my whole world. You know, I had all my friends and all my things that I did. Uh, so, you know, the typical teenager, I didn't want to go. But my dad said, we're going. So we moved uh, right at 2,800 miles away to Laramie, Wyoming. And when we got there, uh, we started to learn more about the city. Uh, the year before we arrived, uh, there were 24 suicides in a town of 24,000. Um, when we got there, uh, I can only describe it as a feeling of heaviness. It was like there was a definite pressure always on you. And brown is, I don't know why that always comes out in my story, but it was a brown heaviness. Um, there were churches there uh, from denominations. Uh, they were mostly on one street. And I observed during that time, you could drive down that street. You knew the buildings were there, but it was almost like there was a veil in front of them that you couldn't really see that church. Um, so without any missionary training or church planning training, my dad acted like a salesman. 
And so he ran an ad in the newspaper for free Bible study at the house that we had rented to live in. And it ran, I think, one or two times. Uh, it was He put it in there for like five days. And all of a sudden it didn't show up like the third day. So he was wondering and was fixing to call the newspaper the next day. He didn't get a chance to. Um, a gentleman from the zoning board of the city of Laramie knocked on our front door and said, Mr. Black, uh, your house is not zoned for religious activities and your ad won't run anymore. Don't try. And that was a shock to us because I mean, this was America, freedom of speech and all the things that we've grown up with. Um, but what we didn't know is that the Mormon bishop lived about five streets over and he wasn't going to tolerate some upstart Christian trying to do something new in his town. Um, so we observed the work of God. We got a small uh, congregation started and in the summer my dad got a phone call from the interim minister at our home church and said that the lead pastor had left and the financial obligation that they had made to our family they couldn't live up to anymore. So he could either choose to stay and try to do his best on his own or he could come back to Rock Hill and assume the associate pastor's job at the church. So that was a big decision and obviously he decided for his family that we needed to come back to Rock Hill. And that was really hard on him. Um, and I watched, I watched my dad struggle with that. Um, didn't know if he had done the right thing. Uh, didn't know if he had heard God right. Or, so a lot of questions. Time passes, 20 years actually. Um, 2007, I take my family on a trip to Mount Rushmore. Uh, we went out and back in nine days. It was a marathon run, but I said, since we're this close to this city, that you always hear, talking to my children and my wife, you always hear me and your grandparents, Papa and Cinda, talk about, we're gonna go see Laramie. I'm gonna show you this place that we lived. And uh, to get to Laramie, from where we were, you have to go through the city of Cheyenne. There's a mountain in between. Uh, Laramie sits on a plane at about 8,000 feet. To get there, you've got to go over the mountain pass, which goes about 11,000 feet. And and when, when we were coming down that mountain on the other side, there was a bright, white, new church on the edge of town. That spirit, that brown heaviness was not there anymore. And I saw my dad being obedient to God he was not meant to start some gigantic ministry on the plains of Wyoming we were there to put a hole in the dam that Satan had built around that town and I was glad that I could bring that good news back to him so that's my story Wow, what a powerful story. I appreciate so much, Brother Christopher, sharing that story and his heart with us.
And you know, it was a number of years before he and his father really understood the impact their obedience to Jesus made in that one city. And you and I may not understand everything. We may not know exactly why God is is asking us to make this sacrifice or serve him in that particular way. But believe me, God always has a reason. God always has a purpose and God can always be trusted. So let me ask you some questions as you apply this biblical truth to your life. Number one, are you listening to God? Are you listening to scripture? As you make decisions about marriage, you make decisions about dating, you make decisions about sex, as you make decisions about money, as you make decisions about how you spend your time, what you do, as you make decisions about where you hang out. And and, and so are you listening to the word of God? Because if you know scripture says this, why are you thinking about that? If you know scripture says this is right and that is wrong, why are you thinking about the wrong and trying to justify it by praying and saying, God, but it's what I want? Are you listening to the Lord? Are you listening to his word? Another question, are you seeking to advance the kingdom of God? Or is all of your energy, is your primary focus in life on the the things that the Gentiles seek, the the everyday things of life, and then you'll try to squeeze Jesus in, squeeze the church, the kingdom in, or are you seeking God in his kingdom first and then knowing that he helps you make decisions about everyday life and have the things you need, but, but your heart is shaped by and your life is driven by the purpose of God and the kingdom of God. Is that driving your life and your decisions? Are you in the Word of God like we do here at the church with our Bible reading plan and our D group ministry so that you can hear his voice and conform your life to what he says? Or are you simply doing what you want and asking God like Santa Claus to bless and bring to you what you want? Are you seeking his will, his way, his kingdom, or simply wanting God to help you do your own thing. Disciples approach life differently. And brothers and sisters, it's worth it. (laughs) It's worth it. And I encourage you this morning to get on your face before God and say, Lord, I submit my life to your authority. And I'm going to get in your word so I can hear you And when scripture speaks, I'm going to obey. And I'm not going to, on my my own mind, justify doing things differently than what you say, O Lord. For you are my God, you are my King, you are my Savior, you are the one I serve. Obedience and submission, characteristics of the kingdom of God and those who are in the kingdom. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday.